said that he was going to live wisely, uh, fearing God and turning away from evil because that's what God has told us to do. And that was kind of in the middle of the book. And then an angry young man named Elihu spoke uh, voraciously for a multitude of chapters. And we looked at one of those chapters uh, last time. And Elihu was a little different in that he said that God can sometimes use suffering as a way of teaching us or turning us from bad decisions. That was kind of his contribution to this uh, conversation on why is there suffering. And in the midst of your life's difficulties, and let's face it, we've all had difficult times in life. Now, some of those difficult times were brought on by our own sinful actions or attitudes. And that's not what we're discussing here in the book of Job. But there are times, because we live in an unjust world, when we do what's right and we fear the Lord and we turn from evil, and yet we are oppressed or we're persecuted or sometimes it's even health issues like Job. Job has lost all of his possessions, but he also has lost his health. And so there's health issues that come up and you say, what did I do to deserve this? Well, maybe nothing, maybe nothing. And so we look at these times and we see unjust suffering and we learned, or I hope we learned, how to re- lament to the Lord in our times of suffering, as Job did. But there are, there are those times of life where you just wish you could say, Hey, God, can you just show up for a second and let me talk to you? I'd like to just see you and have some words with you. And Job has desired that throughout the book because he feels like God is his enemy. And we know because we've seen behind the curtain that it's not God, it's not God who is persecuting Job, but it's Satan who is behind all this. But Job doesn't know that. And we think, boy, if God were here, I'd like to ask him this and hear his answer. And Job actually is going to have that opportunity because we're going to see in our text today that the glory of the Lord appears to Job. And we're going to see in our text today that the Lord answers questions of why with a who. The Lord answers questions of why with a who. We see the glory of the Lord appear to Job in chapter 38, verse 1. It's described here as a whirlwind. Other places, the glory of the Lord uh, is described as a storm cloud or just a cloud, or if you want a very detailed description, if you look at the first few chapters of Ezekiel, you'll see that there are divine beings that are wheels within wheels, and they're carrying, as it were, a throne that God is enthroned upon. And it's quite the the sight, I imagine. I've not seen the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and uh, they quaked. But the glory of the Lord here appears in whirlwind to Job. And so let's look first at Job 38, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Now, Job has not sinned in his laments. He's given good counsel as to how we should live our lives according to the wisdom that God has given man. Again, Job 28, 28, 
And he said to man, that's the Lord said to man, behold, the fear, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom and to turn away from evil is understanding. Job is living his life in an accurate understanding of the wisdom of God. And here, Yahweh, uh, and, and I'm going to use the word Yahweh sometimes, sometimes Lord. When you see L-O-R-D and it's all capitals in your Bible, that's the name of God. That's Yahweh. When you see just a capital L with lowercase letters, that's Adonai or Master. Okay, so I kind of wish the translators would do something different, but I'm just David Harris, a mere pastor in Palmhurst, Texas. And so I don't have influence over those things. So if you hear me say Yahweh, that means Lord in all capital letters. Okay, so Yahweh says that Job is darkened counsel. He darkens counsel. He obscures it. But how? Because uh, later on in uh, 42 verse 7, the Lord is going to affirm that Job has spoken rightly about him. So how has Job obscured God's true character? Well, in our text today, we're going to see a theme of understanding. But we, we can recall that there were times when Job was lamenting or he was talking back to his, his friends and answering them. And he would ascribe to God what was actually a work of Satan because Job, Job didn't know that. Such as when he accused his friends in Job 19.22, he says, Why do you, like God, pursue me? And again, we've been able to peek behind the curtains. We know it's not God that's pursuing him. It is Satan who has destroyed his life and his health. But he feels like God's involved in this somehow. And so, why do you, like God, pursue me? So, while Job has maintained his integrity and his trust in the Lord... In his ignorance of the situation, he has obscured God's true character. And in uh, the text that we see today, there's going to be this theme of understanding and wisdom and knowledge. Understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. As God talks to Job, we're going to see those words, those words repeated several times. Job has lamented to God like a child to a parent. So he has not sinned. In this. Okay. And we've used the illustration several times, perhaps when you were a kid or perhaps when uh, one of your children has come up to you and they've they're crying. They say, you don't love me. And if you love me, you would do this. And you know more about the situation. And they may have even said, you hate me. And you didn't turn and say, well, no, I don't hate you. And then tear your kid down. You understood that they don't know the full situation. And so we have that situation here with us to God. We don't know the full situation. And so we can lament to God. And Job has not sinned in any of that. But nonetheless, God's character has been obscured. Uh, One commentator says this. He said, Job has complained and agonized out of a sincere heart and with an increasing faith, but he has not discerned the judicious counsel of God that permeates all of his deeds throughout the world. Although Job has lacked insight, Yahweh does not say that Job has sinned. He never rebukes Job for swearing his avowal of innocence. But he contends that Job's limited understanding hinders him from disputing wisely with his creator about his own fate. 
And that is John Hartley in his commentary on Job. Now, we've said that Job is a picture of Jesus Christ. The righteous suffer. The glory of the Lord appeared to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew 17, 1 through 5, we see this. It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. This is the appearance of the glory of the Lord. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Job and his friends will take heed to what the Lord says from the whirlwind, but we need to take heed to what Jesus says. Now, somebody's phone is going off, and it's mine. So let me go down here, since I don't have it on me, and turn it off. And this, we should just snip at this and play it every week before the service. The embarrassment of a pastor. We need to take heed to what Jesus says. So now, the Lord is going to answer Job's lament. Lord willing, next week we'll look at how he answers Job's uh, questioning of God's justice in things. But he's going to answer Job's lament. And we'll see the justice sprinkled in here as well. But Yahweh is going to present himself first as creator. He answers the questions of why with a who. And so here begins the series of questions that uh, will make Job consider the character and nature of God. The Lord begins by telling Job how he brought order to creation. First, by providing design like a master builder in verses 4 through 7. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. He designed the world like a master builder. Now, two things to note here. God is using poetic language. He's not giving us a science book. And then number two, God is speaking to Job in a manner in which Job will understand the created world as he knows it. And so there was the thought in Job's day that the world was laid upon foundation pillars. And God's not here to correct him about science. He's here to correct him about who he is. And so he describes these things poetically and in a way that Job will understand. Next, he says that he gave boundary to the sea like a midwife does a child. Now, it's important for us to know that in the in the time in which this is written, the sea was considered by other religions to be a monster, to represent a monster and uh, a, a little g God, if you will. And that their creation stories in Babylon would talk about how one of the Baals had to come and and conquer the sea and and would do that kind of on a daily basis, but especially at creation. And here God is presenting the sea as just this this little baby that's being born that he controls. 
like a midwife. He swaddles it like a midwife does a child. Verses 8 through 11. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. The Lord is going through creation. He brought order out of chaos and he brought dry land out of water. Another thing that he did in the Genesis creation that we see reemphasized here is he brought light out of darkness. And so the third way in which he is the creator and the wise creator is that he commands light to overtake darkness like a general does. Verses 12 through 15, he says, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. The sun rising reveals the topography like a, like a seal does wax, is what he's saying there. And, and the light tends to expose the darkness. When do most evil actions occur? They occur, especially in Job's time, under the cover of darkness. But wicked people's time for doing evil is limited because of the sunrise. Evil and injustice exist in this fallen world, but Yahweh has established limits that will keep his purposes from being thwarted. Look at John 19 verses 9 through 11. In this we see Jesus before Pilate, right before he's going to be crucified. And again, Yahweh has established limits that will keep his purposes from being thwarted. Evil and injustice exist, but God limits it. John 19, verses 9 through 11. Pilate entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Notice that no one has the authority to do anything outside of God's providence. It's why we see Satan coming before God at the beginning of the book of Job and had to ask permission to persecute Job. And we see that here when he's when Jesus says, you have no authority over me unless it's given you from above. But responsibility for evil is still upon those who choose to do the evil. When Jesus says he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin, we are held responsible for the decisions we make. Evil and injustice exist in this world. But just as Yahweh has measured the earth and set boundaries for the sea and set limits on the times of darkness, so does he set boundaries on how much and how long wickedness can be perpetrated. Not only does did he create everything, he understands how it works. The source of the seawaters, the place of the dead, and the size of the earth are all known to Yahweh. Look at verses 16 through 18. 
Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. The source of light and darkness and how they came to operate is known to Yahweh. Verses 19 through 21. It says, where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. He's being sarcastic with Job. Yo, Yahweh knows how the weather works here. And he goes on to explain verses 22 through 24 in Again, terms Job would understand. He says, have you entered the storehouses of snow or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? And he's bringing all these questions to Job. And of course, Job doesn't have the answers. And you say, well, my pastor, I know how big the earth is. I, I would be surprised if any of you could give me the number without Google. Okay. But we do, we have observed how the world works, and we do know better than Job how the weather works in our day. We know more about the ecosystem now and the sun and the moon, but with all of our discovered knowledge, we still can't control those things for our purposes. But Yahweh not only knows how the weather works, he uses it for his purposes. He says there, have I've reserved these things for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. And we know that from the plagues of Egypt, but also in Joshua, verses 10 and 11, it says that as the Amorites fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. First Samuel 7:10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. You see, God knows how it all works, and as we discover how it all works, that's great that we know how it all works, but we can't use it for our purposes. Texas is still in a drought in most of the state. We understand how the weather works, but we we can't do diddly to change it. And so God in his wisdom limits injustice and cares for his creation according to his good purposes. And that's kind of the stake we want to put in the ground today as we hear from the Lord speaking to Job that he in his wisdom limits injustice and cares for his creation according to his good purposes. Mankind observes and predicts God designs and controls. And even if we could control the ecosystem, we would use it without regard for the whole system. I remember growing up in the in the hills of West Virginia, there was this thing called multiflora roses. And they were pretty things, but they were they grew everywhere and they were a nuisance. And I was talking to my dad one day and I said, man, why, why are these things everywhere? He said, well, David. Uh, some some guys thought they got smart and they thought, you know what, we can design a multiflora rose that doesn't reproduce like the seeds don't reproduce and, and we'll use them to build fences. 
And so they did this test thing in West Virginia, and they, they put these multiflora roses up, which cattle would not go through. I mean, they're smarter than humans when it comes to that type of thing, right? And so we had all these multiflora roses, and, and we thought we had them under control, but then the birds came along and ate the seeds, reactivated the seeds, pooped them out, and the multiflora roses spread like crazy. So man thought we had it all under control. There was a there was a insecticide called DDT. Do you remember, anybody here remember DDT in the 70s, right? And so it was great great at killing insects, but it had a a life uh, that that it just never went away. And so the insects would die, and then things would eat the insects. Birds would eat the insects, and they would build up DDT in their system until they died, and then. The wolves and the coyotes would eat the birds and it would build up and it would never leave their system. And so they would just eat these things until they got sick enough to die. And it killed off things. It killed off. Uh, uh, now the name escapes me. But there's a bird that rides on the nose of the cattle that would eat the insects. Killed them all off. What was that? Cowbirds. I should have known, right? Thanks, Captain Obvious, right? Cowbirds. All my life, never saw a cowbird. Now, thankfully... God's creation is overcoming. And and just before my dad died in the 2000s, 2010s, we actually saw a cowbird on a cow's nose. First one I'd ever seen in my lifetime. Dad, they used to have them all the time. They helped control the insect population. We, in our wisdom, thought we could do these things. And then I hear things like, oh, they're developing a mosquito that can't reproduce or whatever, and they're going to release them into the, into the thing and control the mosquito population. And me personally, I go, mm, I don't know. I don't know. We don't have a great track record of uh, messing with the design of how God's done things. And Yahweh addresses this in the next section of his speech as he speaks to Job of his maintenance of creation. Look at verses 25 through 27. He maintains weather and seasons Verse 25, it says, Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? He directs and disperses the rains to places that we wouldn't think of as men, mankind. He knows how the whole moisture system works. Verses 28 through 30. Has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone and the face of the deep is frozen. And then next, Yahweh asked Job about astrology, which was used to note the changing of the seasons and to guide travelers on the way in ancient times. And he says in verses 31 through 33, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know, let's talk about Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Now, we've tracked constellations and we can predict their movements, but we didn't establish those movements. That's Yahweh. God controls the weather and he gives understanding to humanity. Look at verses 34 through 38. He says, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Hey, we need rain. It's not going to do anything, right? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go? 
and say to you, here we are. I love the picture this paints. It's just, it's like if it's like God whistles and the little lightning bolts come and they stand there and they say, here we are, Lord. Where do you want us to go? And he sends them out. Just I love the poetic language here of Job. And then he says he's the one that's helped us understand it because we think we're really smart nowadays. You know, we figured out the genome sequence. You know, well, that only took what? Multiple, multiplied thousands and hundred thousands of years, right? I mean, it's just taken us a long time to figure out these things. But, hey, it's great that we, it's great, right? We can send a rocket to the moon. Woohoo! Yay us, right? God knows how they all work. But he says, verse 36, who has put wisdom in the inner parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heaven when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Who can send the rain on a drought stricken land? You see, animals operate on instinct, but humanity learns wisdom. And yes, we've learned a lot of things by science over the years. And it's amazing to me to watch, you know, little opal. You know, she's about a year and a half and she's starting to figure things out and she imitates, right? And there's a little song, you know, if you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet and she'll stomp her feet and everything. You just watch her learning and learning and gaining wisdom and gaining understanding. Who allows that to happen? God does. God does. Animals operate on instinct, but humanity learns wisdom. He maintains the animal system, verses 39 through 41. He provides food for the greatest to the least of the animals of the kingdom. He says, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Yahweh feeds the animal kingdom. Yes, there's death in the world, but guess what? That death feeds the animal kingdom. Yahweh knows... Not only how to feed the animals, but he knows how many animals were born today. He says, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? When they crouch, bring forth their offspring and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong. They grow up in the open. They go out and do not return to them. God knows how many deer were born today. That's fascinating. In wisdom, God has given the wild animals their character traits and instincts. And he goes into a couple of them here. And he talks about the wild donkey and the wild ox and then the ostrich, who is basically the comedy of the world. And so he goes, let's just read through these verses five through eight. He talks about the wild donkey who has let the wild donkey go free, who has loosed the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I've given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place. He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture and he searches after every green thing. He will not be domesticated. He has his freedom, but he will not be fed by man but God provides then he talks about the wild ox he says is the wild ox willing to serve you will he spend the night at your manger can you bind him in the furrow with ropes or will he harrow the valley is after you will you depend on him because his strength is great and will you leave to him your labor do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor 
The wild ox will not be tamed and used by man. Even crazy animals like an ostrich were designed by Yahweh. And they survive even though they have no maternal instincts or understanding. Yet they're faster than horses is what he's going to describe to us here. And, you know, like if we were looking, if we, if we were just going to say, look, I don't know anything about the, the uh, animals that are going to be extinct in the coming years. You know, we have that list of protected species and everything. But if you were just going to have me guess, an ostrich would be my guess, right? I would think they would be tough because they lay their eggs in the dirt and they don't pay no attention to them. They don't care for their children when they grow up. I mean, they're just kind of a dumb animal. And it's like, well, who's going to go extinct first? That one, right? But yet they're still here, right? Without our assisting them. Look at verses 13 through 18. The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the pinions of plumage of love? No. For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, though, she laughs at the horse and rider. She's very fast. And here we have this not giving wisdom to the ostrich, but yet taking care of it. Whereas he said previously, who has given wisdom? Well, God has given wisdom. But He's given us enough to know, as far as people, we, we, we know enough to trust Him, right? But we don't understand it all. And while my, mankind can tame a horse, now we get into the tame animals, we don't give it its strength or its character traits. Look at verses 19 and following. It says, Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear and the javelin. With fierceness and rage he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. Keep in mind, this is in a day before we have tanks and jeeps and all these things that we've created to do war with. You needed horses to do battle. And a horse is a majestic, majestic animal used to farm farms and for thousands of years and used to do battle for thousands of years. A tremendous animal that God created and designed, not man. And how about being down here in the valley? You know, we have a lot of birders that come through, and they—I I told you about that time I went out to the to the island. The guy was pointing out this little bird, and like he's so excited about it, and he's getting frustrated because I'm not excited about it. And I like birds, but I have no idea this thing's rare, you know. But we have these birders that come down, but we have migrations and all that stuff. Migrating birds, not your idea. That was God's, right? Verse 26 through 30 says, is, is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home. On the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up the blood. And where the slain are, there he is. 
God, in his wisdom, limits injustice and cares for his creation according to his good purposes. We can understand this argument from the lesser to the greater. If God cares for these animals, some of them wild, some of them unclean, and some of them threatening, like the lions. If he cares for them, he will surely care for you. Don't miss the message that's being conveyed to Job. Job, I'm, I'm Lord over all this, and I know what's going on with you. Jesus shares something similar with us in Matthew 10, verses 24 through 33. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And now he gets into suffering that we're going to encounter as his followers, unjust suffering. He says, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the rooftops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here we have the fear of God theme, a theme that we see in Job. And then he says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Persecution will come, Christian, and you will have an opportunity to either fear man or fear God. And you need to fear God. And you need to stand with Jesus and be faithful to him because he limits injustice and cares for his creation according to his good purposes. Now, we see Yahweh's uh, asking for a response from Job, and we're almost finished. Chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord said to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm of a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. The Lord has answered Job's questions of why with a resounding who. Job realizes his insignificance in comparison to Yahweh, but at the same time, he is probably overwhelmed with the realization of God's care for him in argument in in uh, in understanding the argument of the lesser to the greater. If God cares for the animals, he cares for Job. Job maintains his claim of innocence and the Lord has answered Job's lament. Now, we see one more time from the New Testament with Jesus. The disciples are in a situation where they are out of control. It's the weather that is uh, attacking them, if you will. And we see that in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. They are the storms, and we encounter storms of life where we're out of control, and we wonder what's going on. And we feel like the disciples do here in this passage. 
It says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. One who is like the prophet Jonah here. But this prophet is doing the will of God, not running from the will of God. But like Jonah, he's asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, and note these words, Teacher, do you not care? That we are perishing when you're going through times of life and things are out of control and you had nothing to do with them. And to the best of your knowledge, it's not because of your sin in your life. It's just life is happening unjustly. We are apt to question whether God cares for us. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And in my mind's eye, I see the disciples and it's just like, why are we still afraid? You know, did you not see that storm? Problem is that her eyes were on the storm, not upon the one who could control the storm. Because the disobedient prophet Jonah was thrown into the sea and the seas calmed. Here, Jesus simply calms the seas because he's not just a prophet. He is God in the flesh. And he is answering their question of why with a who. Notice what he says, or what is said here. Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus wasn't thrown into the sea. He calmed the sea. But like the prophet, Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Jesus entered the heart of the earth for our sins. And he was resurrected. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He is the true righteous sufferer that Job was pointing to in this this story of Job. Jesus Christ died for your sins so that he could be the Lord of your life. Will you repent of your sins and trust him as the Lord of your life? Follow him? Will you ask him to forgive you of your sins because of what he did for you? You can't earn your salvation. It's only by grace. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and he will. But beloved, in the midst of your life's difficulties, what would it be like if God appeared to you? What would you expect Him to say to you? What questions would you ask? I think we would be just like Job. Speechless, dumbstruck at the majesty and glory of the Lord. The Lord answers questions of why with a who. God in His wisdom limits injustice and cares for His creation according to His good purposes. Now, let me just put in a note here for you, okay? Because this is not to minimize your suffering. Some of you are going through very difficult trials and tribulations right now. And I've told you before, the book of Job is not there for us to go, well, at least I don't have it as bad as Job. That's not true. God cares about your situation. He's not, you're not going to go to him and go, oh, oh, You'd like you'd like a better job where you're not mocked for your Christianity. Have you not seen Job? He's not going to do that. 
No, he cares. He's not too busy to hear you cry out to him either. He, he, you're not going to go to him and he say, well, can't you see I'm dealing with a war in Ukraine right now? I'm busy. No, your problems are significant to the Lord, even if they don't stack up to what Jesus went through or what Job went through or what your family went through or a friend, you know, is going through. Troubles are troubles, friend. Troubles are troubles. But know that God in his wisdom limits injustice and he cares for his creation according to his good purposes. God is going to work in the book of Job to bring redemption through Job's suffering. Job's not going to learn anything from it because if he were to learn something, we said at the beginning, then his suffering would have to have had meaning for Job, which it said in the beginning, uh, God says to Satan, why have you provoked me against him for no reason. There's not going to be a purpose in Job's suffering for Job's benefit. But oh, there's going to be a benefit to his friends. And there was no benefit to Jesus Christ to go through the suffering that he went through. But oh, is there a benefit for you and I. But beloved, God does use our injustice and our suffering in ways that we may not know. But just know this, if God cares for his creation like was described today, then he cares for you and your situation. Trust him. Trust him. Know that he loves you dearly. You are worth more than many sparrows.